0: Tuning in to Metal Matters, the official weekly give Metal podcast. I know that fixation on a coworker is an important record for you, and it's one of the biggest records for me that came out in the '90s. Yeah, man.
1: It seems like we've been on a roll uh, with records that are very, were very important to me. At least, not important to me when I started to like play music. You yeah. know, I mean, there are other records that were very important when I was younger, kind of shaping where I would go listening wise but as far as uh being in a band and creating music fixation on a coworker
0: uh had a big impact on me for sure. Yeah, so in case you hadn't guessed it uh by the title of this episode Randy and I are going to be talking about Fixation on a Coworker by the band Dead Guy, the New Jersey-based metal hardcore band Dead Guy. And um this is their only l. p. believe it or not it's you know what I mean it's like this is their only their sole l p. record to come out and you know you yeah, it's kind of a shame,
1: yeah you know, they had the two seven inches, the two singles before, and the ten inch e p that followed this, which was vastly a different band, although still called dead guy
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's um, I definitely want to talk about that later. Uh, because that's, sure. uh, there's some interesting stuff that happened around that. But, uh, so the record came out November 20th, 1995. It was recorded in March 1995 at Trax East, which is the um, you know kind of a... It was a spot in the 90s for you know, hardcore, especially this style of hardcore. Um, recorded yeah. by Steve Evitz, who was kind of the go-to guy. Uh, for a lot of the stuff that you saw like on Victory Records and you know some of the East Coast Revelation bands and things like that. And then uh, right. mastered by Alan Duchess at West Westside Music. And that was back in the days when Alan was located in Tenafly, New Jersey. So there was this whole like East Coast, Tri-State Area, New Jersey thing going on with this band. The band was based in Jersey. They recorded with Steve Evitts at Tracks East. Mastered by Alan. All these guys, like a very heavy duty East Coast kind of thing going on with this band. And, um, Victory Records put this out, and the program length is 30 minutes and 14 seconds, which is, uh, kind of in that period where records started getting longer, and this LP was actually on the shorter side, ironically.
1: Right. Um, also, all those use Coast connections, but it ended
0: up getting put out by a Chicago-based label, Victory. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that was kind of which, a surprise <laughs> to me, man, to be honest, that Victory was interested in a band like this, you know? Well, yeah, the Victory Records thing is this whole story, you know, unto itself. Um,
1: they had a lot of, you know, I was kind of looking at their back catalog. Doing some research for this episode, and uh, they did put out a lot of records I was into, um, leading up to this coming out, and a few after Fixation came out.
0: But by la- by large, man, it's, I was never a huge fan of Victory Records or like the kind of bands they put out. Yeah, I'd already graduated a little bit past some of that music, and uh, I mean, we kind of touched on this during like the buzz of an episode where uh, at this. It's This is all kind of within a few years of each other. It was like the early 90s, mid-90s. And right. um, I wasn't really into like hardcore per se. You know, like in the 80s, I got into, you know, Agnostic Front, you know, Poison Idea, you know, Chrome Chromags, like that kind of stuff, like early 90s. Yeah. And by now, I was starting to dip into, uh, you know, the Amphetamine Reptile catalog and like Neurosis, bands like Buzz Oven, I Hate God, like all that kind of stuff. And I was a uh, hardcore adjacent sort of guy in a way, I guess. You know, so, so some well, yeah,
1: you, I mean, I started, to, our paths pretty much, you know, are the same. Uh, you just got a few years on me, you know? Yeah. Uh, a few hard So years I maybe years. hung on. <laughs> <laughs> a few long, hard, dark years. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, I tried to hang on to the hardcore thing maybe a little bit longer, but you know, I started to get very disillusioned with it when like the whole like tough guy gang mentality shit started to happen and that's when I started to find those bands you just said, you know, and hey God, I was up in neurosis. And then I also think a lot of these guys in bands like Dead Guy were feeling the same way we were and that's why Dead Guy happened.
0: Yeah, it was one of those bands that um it made me realize that it was possible to operate within the hardcore world and still pull in a lot of these kind of forward thinking ideas. And, uh, and in some ways I felt like dead guy, though they were like pushing, you know, boundaries in a different direction. were also referencing stuff from the, from the eighties, which I was really into like black flag and, you know, blast, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and, and that kind of thing, which touched on a lot of the forward thinking stuff that felt like it was being, stamped out of hardcore in the nineties. You know, like hardcore became yeah. very regimented, very by the numbers. There was all these different sub genres of hardcore. Uh straight edge was a big thing. And if you weren't straight edge, you were you're kinda like they wouldn't even, you know, pay any attention to your your music. You know, it wasn't even about music anymore at that point. And um and that right, was kind yeah. of, you know, like when when I heard I heard the 7 Inches, the, those two long playing 7 Inches that came out before, the White Meat and uh, Work Ethic 7 Inches by this band. Yep. And I was like, man, this is like, you know, and I was familiar with Rorschach and I knew that Keith Huckins was in Rorschach and this seemed like kind of an extension of that band. But it turns out that Keith wasn't actually originally in Dead Guy, apparently. And um, like he kind of joined the band. Right. Yeah, because the rest of the guys uh, were all Jersey guys,
1: and Keith was a New York guy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, because Tim sang for the band No Escape, who I was a fan of, you know, before Dead Guy formed. And I was also a fan of Rorschach. So when I when I heard of this band forming with all, uh, I believe uh, Chris, uh, otherwise known as Crispy. <laughs> A guitar player, he was did a brief stint in Lifetime. Who I'm pretty sure you're not a fan of and never were, but I was a
0: fan. No, no, I, I like, like Lifetime, I thought they were cool. Oh, I mean, you know. yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. okay, yeah,
1: okay. Um, so what I heard about, like, you know, guys from Rorschach, No Escape, in lifetime, and Lifetime, I was all about that. Um, so I, I was. Working in occasionally booking shows at a club up here in Connecticut called Studio One Hundred and Fifty Eight, and I reached out. I got a contact. I don't even so long ago. I don't know who I talked to or what, but I booked their first show in Connecticut um, in September of ninety four, and that's they had the White Meat Seven Inch with them, and that's when I first heard the band. You know, I, I didn't hear them before. I booked them and seen them play, and then I, I heard them on recorded after. Um. But you know, all I had to know was who was involved, and they're they're absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, they're. I mean, let's let's talk a minute about Huckins, man, because he is kind of um, in, in some ways a obscure influence, like on a lot of other bands that got to be huge, a lot of other players that got to be well regarded in the metalcore world. And um, you know, Keith was in uh, was in Rorschach, like we mentioned, and he also played. In, uh briefly in Die 116, which, uh, you know, that was a band that had, had Gavin Van Vlack from Burn and Absolution. And, um, and that was, like, another band that was kind of, you know, they were pushing things in, like, more of, like, a post-hardcore kind of way. But it all right. kind of fit this, like, environment that these guys are all working in, you know, guys like Gavin who are in, like, a straight-up, like, hardcore band branching out and doing different things and incorporating other influences. So... You know, so Keith was coming from that, but also Keith and his style of playing was uh, truly like the marriage of, I mean, it sounds like like very uh, generic to say hardcore and metal, but the reality is like, yeah, I mean, he was one of the first guys to really successfully combine those two styles. You know, I mean, if you talk to Huckins, you know, he's into Voivod, Slayer, you know, and all these other, you know, traditional metal kind of things. And uh, when, when you ask him about Rorschach, they were originally supposed to be this kind of New York hardcore, like youth, youth crew style band. That, that was their original right. um, idea for that band. And then because of his like discordant approach to playing guitar, it ended up being Rorschach, the band that we know that people are citing as influences across the board and all these successful bands that came in the mid to late 90s. And um, so right. yeah, I mean he's kind of an innovator in my opinion, Hawkins. And I agree, man. I, I I think
1: of him when I think of his. He's playing, or reminds me of Jeff Jeff Henneman from Slayer and right, Greg from Black Flag. That's the, a melding of those two. Totally, but yeah. his playing reminds me of.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. you know, and and then he, uh, you know, continued that tradition in Dead Guy, and um, you know, Dead Guy probably. Maybe like in in the overarching sense, Rorschach might have been more of a band that people reference than Dead Guy just cuz they had maybe more material out. But I feel like right. Dead Guy probably was uh at the time that they were around when this LP came out was probably more popular than than I would say Rorschach ever was. You know what I mean as far as like, you know, people going to see them and doing US tours and yeah. things like that. So
1: I think a lot of that maybe had to do with the fact that they were on victory too. victory was a big label in the hardcore world at that time, you know, and like, I think really pushed that record. Um, Cause I know that guy played a lot in the Northeast, but I'm not sure how much they, I think they, they toured for this record and like out in California, the wheels fell off and they never finished the tour.
0: Um, that, that's the information I have too, is that uh, singer and Keith, Tim Singer and Keith Huckins left the band uh, in the midst of their US tour for this record. But the right. the other dead guy <laughs> did a did a, a, a full US tour with Bloodlet and um and that was like a pretty that was a long tour. It was like two and a half months or something like that.
1: But uh Right. I've seen I've seen them a few few times on that tour.
0: You know, the only time I ever saw a dead guy was that lineup, believe it or not. Really? Oh, yeah, I, I never saw that. the actual OG version of the band.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen them a lot. i seen them a lot. I, mean, I booked that show for them, and of course I had to put my band on the show. Yeah, you know? well, of course you did, man. <laughs> of course, of course. And then you know, the drummer of uh, my band used to book shows there, too, so he booked them and put us on the show. We ended up playing with the original line of that guy probably, I think, at least three or four times. Um, and then I've seen them another three or four times with the original lineups. So, yeah, I've seen them a lot. Um, they were a forced live for sure.
0: You know, I have to think back about Boston in those years. And um, I mean, I'm sure someone out there who was in Boston in the 90s would probably know, would be able to correct me on this. But I only, I literally don't remember them playing in Boston, really. I remember that one time they came through and it was after this lineup. It was the only lineup I saw was with Doc. The, it wasn't actually, it wasn't the Doc Copper lineup. It was, yeah, it was the Screaming with the Dead Guy quartet lineup. And they were. Right. But that, that EP hadn't come out yet. And they played in, uh, at the Middle East upstairs. And that was like the only time I ever saw that lineup. And then I probably saw them on the bloodlet when they played in, um, in Boston with Bloodlet. And uh, that might have been the only two times I saw dead guy.
1: Yeah, well, funny, thinking about it, because I would go to a lot of shows in Boston, too. Uh, all the original lineup of Dead Guy shows, I, I've seen. None of them were in Boston. Yeah. But I did go to that same one you're talking about. As a matter of fact, me and a couple guys from my band, and a couple friends, followed them. They played Boston on a Friday night in a snowstorm. <laughs> if you remember, it was a snowstorm that night. Yeah, you're right and about then that, yeah. We followed them, not literally followed them, but we drove up to Burlington, <laughs> Vermont, and they played at 242 Main the next night. And then on uh, Sunday, they played in Worcester. And we went to that show. So we made like a whole weekend out of it, following them around.
0: You know, it could very well be possible that um, Dead Guy might have played Worcester more than Boston proper. You know? Because, yeah, that uh, could be for sure. Yeah, because like Worcester had the space, which was like right. uh, some, like that type of venue didn't really exist in Boston at the same time. You know what I mean? like Boston right, right. had uh they had like a church more. that had shows um and then there was Middle East upstairs and then there was like like bigger hardcore shows like like at that time like Hatebreed would have played like the Middle East downstairs and uh a band like Dead Guy probably would have had more success being booked out at the Worcester Space you know Yeah because that was a time
1: when like you know quote unquote scenes were really starting to fracture and get more like you know specific about what bands played with what bands and who played at what venues. And there's a lot of like scene politics, I guess <laughs> going on back then, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're sure. talking about, these, uh, you mentioned,
0: I'm um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. We're talking about these two lineups. So let's, let's just run down who actually played on this record. Um, cause like right. I like I mentioned originally dead guy was a one guitar band with, uh, Chris Corvino as the guy on guitar and, uh, Tim right. singer on vocals and, uh, Tim had formerly fronted uh, the band No Escape, which was a you know hardcore band from the Jersey area, and uh, yeah. So we got singer on vocals, we got Chris Corvino on guitar, we got Keith Huckins on guitar, we got Tim Newman on bass, and Dave Rosenberg on drums, and that's the you know fixation on a coworker lineup of the band. I couldn't find any uh, info on
1: tim and dave being in other bands before dead guy as a matter of fact i've heard a lot of stories through the years i don't know if it's true but this is where i heard that tim didn't even know how to play bass when he joined Dead guy
0: that could be possible <laughs> yeah that's funny i don't know maybe you know <laughs> i've heard that a few different times like rumors through the years or whatever you know i have
1: uh, no idea but i couldn't find any info on him being in bands or, or dave Rosenberg, the drummer being in bands pre
0: dead guy you know, Dave Rosenberg, is a, his drumming is actually pretty sick on this record. You know, very, uh, very much. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's maybe he's one of those guys who just uh, always was just practiced drums and never really played in bands until this band happened.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find any info. So, but I mean, it's so, all you know. He was a great drummer. His drumming in Dead Guys pretty cool. It's different. You know, it's it, it complements the music. I think
0: perfectly. Yeah. So uh, the track listing goes like this side one doom patrol pins and needles die with your mask on which is one of my favorite uh, song titles uh referencing uh the watchmen and uh baby arm makeshift atom smasher side two the extremist nine stitches riot stairs apparatus and crazy eddie and that's uh that's the record 30 minutes 30 plus minutes uh, just to, you know, something sorry, funny uh,
1: Sorry to cut you off this. Something funny about this record too I think there was a the window of like maybe two years Where labels released An LP, a CD, and a cassette And there was all three versions of this uh, Because a lot, you know, around that time The vinyl was starting to phase out On like a big scale And I think cassettes were starting to phase out too But there was like a window there Where a lot of these releases had cassette CDs And Vinyl releases. I thought it was funny when I
0: was looking at looking this up. Yeah, that was uh, like kind of a throwback to the late 80s And it's funny to think that vinyl Like did have a dip in In the in the scene, you know, cuz I I have this on vinyl and it's just like a vinyl like there's no nothing special about it You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, mine too. It's just a record in a sleeve and there you go (laughs) it's like you know nowadays the packaging on a lot of records is really extensive and um I have to say that probably one of the originators of that had to be our friend Aaron Turner's label Hydrahead. You know I think they kind of Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah they 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 sort of revolutionized the vinyl packaging and and I think yeah around 97 or so that's really when they started you know kicking into that that realm of uh having He's like very extensive packaging and spending time on the presentation of records and stuff like that
1: Yeah, that's a good point man. Like, he really pushed, you know, and did a lot of really cool innovative stuff. With, you know, everything he put out wasn't Almost none of them were just like records, you know, they're all like, kind of pieces of art and different and he, and he
0: contributed a lot of his own art to those records too Yeah, exactly, you know, you know? and I uh, one of the cool things about we'll just we'll, we'll stop talking about Aaron after this, but one of the things I really <laughs> one of the things I really appreciated about the early Hydrohead releases was that a lot of those seven inches were like hand drawn covers, you know. Yes. And it was like, yes. you know, and Aaron, you know, is an art guy. Like he's he's a painter, draw, you know, designer, painter, like what you name it, you know. So. Right. um you know, I have to say that Turner probably injected. Was it? You can say Turner is like the '90s guy for that stuff. You know, to inject like this artfulness into the presentation of records. It wasn't just like a product anymore. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, so t- I totally agree with that, man. Yeah. Totally, um, he did some really great stuff. Uh, you know, one more thing. Like uh, when I was looking. I pulled my LP. I have a repress of this. I don't have my original anymore, so I'm not sure if it's any different. But maybe you can remember. There's no photographs of the band in the layout. Like There's no live shots. There's no you know staged band photo or whatever. But it says, uh, when you look on Wikipedia about the artwork, it says, Photography by Jason Hallman. Now, I think that is supposed to be our mutual friend, Jason Hellman, <laughs> not Jason Hallman with an A, uh, because Jason took a lot of photographs of Dead Guy, and I believe they use some of his photographs, and some magazines have used some of his photographs uh, for Dead Guy articles and, and uh, things like that. I think the Decibel Hall of Fame maybe used some of Jason's photos. So uh, I know there's none on this record, at least depressing I have, there's none, you know, if they did use some of his photos, his name is Jason Hellman, not Jason Hallman. For whoever runs the Wikipedia page for Dead Guy.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, the record layout itself—it looks like it's—it's kind of developed from uh, a bunch of like clip art stuff or found found imagery. You know, so I don't know if anyone right. took those photos. And maybe, you know, maybe Jason Hallman's actually a guy. Maybe he took some pictures that Tim Singer used in laying it out. But I don't, I don't, I can't verify that. I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't either. I tried to look that up
1: as well. And I didn't really have any luck. So, but I was just—I thought it was the, too much of a coincidence. But
0: <laughs> I thought the <laughs> I same know. thing too, actually. And I was like, "Hmm, probably should uh, should do a little homework there. If you're going to write someone's name and credit them, and you should think right. about getting their name correctly spelled." You know.
1: I was going to, you know, drop uh,
0: our friend Jason Hellman a call, but he's the kind of guy who, like, you know, will return your call like a month from now. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah world traveler jason hellman yeah i mean it's um, pretty it's pretty and- likely that people out there have seen a lot of hellman's work especially if you're a fan of that late 90s you know metalcore metal hardcore metallic hardcore hydra head world you know he's taken yeah tons of photos and like providence boston you know connecticut shows things like that
1: yeah and a lot of those early Hydrahead releases that Aaron Turner probably didn't do the artwork for may have been Jay Helman photos, because <laughs> they used a lot of his photos in a lot of uh, the early- to mid-period Hydrahead stuff. He, he worked there, there
0: for a while too. so: We should should do so a We should do a Head style episode, but there's so much stuff that, that they did. I have to figure out, like, how to, you know, it would be, like, a multi-part, you know, there's the 90s, then there's, like, the 2000s, and then there's, like, all these eras of the label that we could probably talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot there, for sure. The cable records. Cable. uh, Things like that. I never heard of them. But uh, you bring up an important point that this record entered the Decibel Hall of Fame, and, uh, you know, it's rightly so and uh yeah so it's part of that whole canon it's been celebrated as as a hall of fame record by uh decibel magazine and um i there's a there's a quote from uh keith hawkins that i thought was really interesting because we were we were talking about how um you know you and i both view keith as an innovator in this particular style of guitar playing and um he kind of addresses that and uh he talks about his quote-unquote peers and uh this is keith huckins words i kind of stopped listening to most hardcore during dead guy and really just got back into heavy metal i was kind of dismissive of most of our peers i couldn't always relate when people said that so-and-so rips you off until someone pointed out norma Jean. i still prefer metal (laughs) I'll admit that I don't. I don't like looking at the metalcore kids. They're goofy.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, okay, perfect. Because when
1: your introduction to this episode, you use the term metalcore. Yeah, and a lot of people will say that this album had a big hand in sparking the sound uh, known as metalcore. Let me be the first to say, I hate. Ninety-nine percent of what people refer to as metalcore.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. You know,
1: you know. Although I seem to be a big fan of some of the bands that are responsible for it, like uh, I would say, Dead Guy, Bloodlet, you know, Integrity, bands like that. Well, I love those bands, but a lot like the uh, movement of the movement of bands, uh, post-metal bands. I think they call it. I don't know what they call it. Uh, bands like ISIS started. Uh, just a flood of bands I don't like. <laughs> yeah. But the, the whole metalcore thing, and, like, you brought up Norma Jean, like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I do not like that style of music.
0: It's a slippery slope with that, because I remember back in, like, you know, 94, that term being thrown mm-hmm. around, and it was referring to bands, you know, like, uh, like you mentioned, like, we you know, Dead Guy, Integrity, Bloodlet, uh, Gehenna. Um, right you know, uh, you know, bands like that. And I was like, yeah, you know, Stark, Stark weather was another band yeah. all, all out war. One, um, you know, even Marauder, like I would say Marauder and that's a band that that's like a tough guy band. I like actually. And, uh, yeah. I mean, they're just like a sick band. They have great songs. They're playing on those early records. is great. And you know, they had, a, you know, they, they just, the whole thing is, is, is like just mean and like brutal and it's really cool. But the, uh, Yeah, but then like you know, I would even put Drowning Man in there as a band that I like, and I feel like Drowning Man was more of an architect of the modern metalcore sound, like Poison the Well and uh, you know, Every Time I Die and all that kind of stuff, which I'm not a huge fan of. And I would actually, that's a, I just don't, I don't really like that those kinds of bands really. That's not my thing. But um, you know, but I feel like, um, yeah, this this was the germ that somehow flowered into this other style of music which kind of got watered down as the years went by you know yeah i think that happens though
1: with a lot of you know like the uh post-metal whatever movement isis started (laughs) or had a hand in starting you know what i mean like it seems like someone always plants this really interesting seed in like underground heavy music. And then someone comes along and fucking pisses all over the sheets, you know, and like turns up like just tons of horrible fucking opening bands that turn into horrible headlining bands. Yeah. At least in my opinion, I, I echo what Keith said, you know, I never mind listening to him. I can't even look at
0: him. <laughs> <Yeah>. So. <laughs> <The>, uh, <laughs> <To> being honest. <laughs> yeah, man, no, that's, you know, you gotta, you gotta be honest. The, uh, after this record came out, um, there was another EP that came out called Screaming with the Dead Guy Quartet. And there was controversial. There was a lot of controversy over this because, you know, Huckins had left and Tim Singer had left. And they had like a different lineup. Um, they are different people in the band. You know, I mean, the one, the one thing I can say is that and and once again, like these guys are very tight lipped about how all this stuff happens, so it's hard to get a straight answer out of people and about it, which I'm assuming that you're, you're, you're actually you're involved in a documentary about Dead Guy. And hopefully some of this stuff gets brought to light in this documentary, right?
1: Uh yeah, I was I was interviewed for there's a documentary coming out called there's a trailer for it out now. Uh it's called Killing Music documentary about that guy and me and uh bernie romanowski play guitar in my band cable our band cable for years we were interviewed for the documentary i don't know how much of that is going to get used if any but yes there is a documentary uh there's a trailer out there on youtube the company is putting it out it's called Force media and a guy named william sanders is the main guy behind the documentary so
0: that's coming out soon hopefully so I think that I'd like to... What I'm interested in is now that it's like 20-something years later. Actually, this is the 25th anniversary of this record is this year. So that's another notable thing. Right. And I guess that's probably why they're planning on releasing this um, this documentary this fall, I guess. You know, maybe. Maybe. I've, I've heard a lot of
1: things, you know. And like I've also heard maybe something about maybe a live performance and maybe this and maybe that. You know, with, our, with our current situation right now, I don't think anyone's performing live this yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> live, live
0: is probably out of the question. But,
1: uh, so uh, that would be really cool if those uh, five guys reunited to celebrate this album. You know, I, I'd be cool with that. I'm not a huge reunion guy, but I, I would back that reunion.
0: But dur- during the course of that, this documentary, I really would like to know Some of the behind the scenes stuff between these two different lineups because I don't necessarily dislike that second lineup myself, honestly. Um, and I guess since Chris Corvino is a founding member of the band and you know Dave Dave Rosenberg's in the band, and then Tim became the singer, the other Tim, right? That why not continue in with the band? You know, I mean, they just put out a record on Victory, which was actually. At the time, I mean, still to this day, if you're on, I mean, Victory Records is a huge label and it had even more I think visibility within like the underground scene back in the 90s. And if you're in an underground metalcore band and you're on Victory Records, that's an awesome opportunity to have. So if you, you know, I mean, if you have an opportunity to continue and make records and some other members leave, why not replace them if everyone's cool with it? But You know, there was this huge backlash, I think. I remember, you know, I... From my understanding, people were kind of like, you know, against these guys continuing as dead guy, you know? Dude, that's always how fucking people
1: are, though. You know what I mean? Like, being someone who's been kind of involved in a very similar situation, (laughs) not that long ago, there's always some motherfuckers who got something to say. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I also liked the second version of Dead Guy. Now yeah. I think the first version was superior. Yes. Uh, you know, I think Fixation on a Coworker is a better record than Screaming with the Dead Guy Quintet. I think they were a better live band with Tim and Keith. But I still, if they had called that something else without the Dead Guy name and you didn't have to compare it to Fixation on a Coworker, I thought it was a cool record. I enjoyed it. I did too. I but, thought there was
0: cool songs you know, on that record for
1: sure. Me too. But anytime there's any kind of drama or anything like that, you know, people just trip over each other to talk shit. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but you're right. There has been never been a lot of info out there about, you know, what happened with the inner workings of that. And were the people that were pissed off? I I don't know. I don't know any of that story. I hope they do cover that in the documentary.
0: And especially now since it's like 25 years later and everyone's older and, you know, cause their lives have moved on and everything. I think people hopefully are more comfortable and, are, and hopefully have like mended some of the hard feelings that might've erupted as a result of this whole thing. You know, I'd like to think that at least.
1: Perfect example of why the
0: world was better without Facebook and social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, dude, I I'm with you on that, man. Um, you know, because, if, you know, I'm, I don't know any of these
1: guys on a, very, on a very personal level at all. So I'm not, like, trying to say this guy would have did this. But the odds are on somebody during that situation getting on Facebook and the Internet saying something that would have, you know, turned into this whole big thing are pretty likely. It just happens all the time. Now, you know, nowadays, it's cool that, like, we're talking about this and it was all these massive lineup changes and, like, we don't know any of the story. And if, if we're going to find out, it's going to be from them. Yeah. like in a documentary, twenty five years later. I think that's cool. You
0: know what I mean? I agree with that. I like that. Definitely. Yeah. But uh, you know, so Keith and Tim went on to do "Kiss Goodbye," which is like another they had one great record that came out, and uh, that right. essentially was almost like it, a re, almost a reforming of, um, of of Rorschach. You had Keith, you had uh, Tom Rusnak, you had Andrew Gormley. That's the rhythm section right. from Rorschach, which the rhythm section in that band in Rorschach was like one of the most mind-blowing rhythm sections, so to get them back together again is like completely insane. So that's that was the basis of "Kiss a Goodbye" with Keith and Tim. and it was I thought they were a great band too. short-lived, but a great oh. band. Great
1: bands. great. Another this powerhouse live band. They put out one great album, <laughs> a few singles, I think after some members, there were some people that like Keith may have left. I don't know if Keith played on those seven inches that came out after.
0: Yeah, Keith actually ended up leaving as well. And um, he was replaced uh, by Damien from uh, Undertow and um, also mm-hmm. – then that band morphed into playing enemy a band that you know my old band has played we toured with them and played many shows together and they were another really cool band too so definitely check them absolutely yeah love playing enemy great um yes a lot of a
1: lot of (laughs) a lot of people leaving a lot of one-off albums but uh you know yeah, you know, another thing about this record—it just—it came out. I, I've always admired Tim Singer was in control of most of the graphic design. You know, their their record covers, their T-shirts, and they always had a certain look to them. And I was always a big, big fan of his lyrics. Yeah, and this record just came out uh, at a perfect time for me. Like personally, I was I was transitioning between you know uh, the the fun of life as, like, a teenager, a guy in his early 20s, to the cold, hard reality of what life really is. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I've (laughs) spoken about this, too. Yeah.
1: Right. Yes, you've gone here more than I have. But this is, like, right in these couple years, man, like, these records we've been talking about and this one in particular, like, the lyrics just resonated with me, and, like, a lot of the art of, like, you know, just, I was working the shitty factory job, getting out of like my third like bad relationship you know (laughs) like it was just a lot of hard times like the transitioning of life from into like you know what being an adult what being a man is and it's not always an easy thing you know so this just came out at a perfect time for me so this record means a lot to me on a personal level too and like you know a lot of lyrics i don't know what tim was writing about per se but i could relate them to my experiences at the time
0: yeah no totally and the interesting thing too is like i like i was saying like earlier i was kind of you know adjacent to hardcore when this record came out like i you know at that age that i was at and that level of experience like playing at diy hardcore shows was really the only way or one, one of the most effective ways you can be in a band like you can operate in a band is by playing in the hardcore world you know but right. my my interests weren't really within that realm. They were beyond that realm. It was like I was, I'd already gone through, you know, the punk rock, you know, I've already, not to say that this is, I don't like these bands, but I've already done the Chrome mags Agnostic Front, Sick of It All, like by then. And, right. and um, I was more interested in like Neurosis, I Hate God, you know, Today is the Day, which is a band that was a huge influence on Dead Guy. And yes. uh, so when I heard Dead Guy, I was also really getting into Today Is a Day, another band that we've talked about. And f- I saw that bridge, and I was like, "Man, why not? Like, why can't why can't you connect these two things and make music that, and then play with other bands that were are within the same scene? These guys are doing it, you know. And then, oh yeah, then right. R- Rorschach kind of did that too, and also Black Flag in the '80s. But then. When you actually try to implement something like that, you start realizing how actually closed-minded a lot of people were. And then you start (laughs) hearing about like, you know, you hear about Dead Guy and how people just, it went over a lot of people's heads. Same thing with Rorschach, how it went over a lot of people's heads. And then also, I mean, especially you talk to those guys about their European tour and how brutal that was. I'm talking about Rorschach. And then you, yeah, yeah. you read Rollins's di- you know diaries about Black Flag when they changed, and how there was like people were violently against what they were doing. And then you start realizing that hardcore and punk music, the uh, the, the the party line is that this is for free thinkers and people with open minds, but it actually is just another way of conforming and, and making rules right. and following rules. And you know you see that you are still going to be on the margins. You know and i guess later on like people caught up to what this band was doing because bands like norma Jean and like dillinger escape plan became like huge you know but uh well
1: to the point to what you're saying though even on a more personal level i mean it's definitely true because you know right around the time this record came out me and you or you know me with cable and you with anodyne i think we're both inspired by all these bands we're talking about and we were also trying to do that and also running into the same walls and realizing, like, wow, those fucking people are closed minded. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Because neither one of our bands were like your typical cut and dry hardcore. I think we were both trying to meld a lot of different styles and different different emotions and different viewpoints in there. And people, was, so I think it was just over a lot of people's heads. I'm not saying, like, oh, our band was so great, people didn't get it. But I truly think a lot of people didn't get it, you know? I think we both experienced that on a very personal level with, yeah. with our own bands at the
0: time. Hundred percent, you know, and I, and and some of that is actually encapsulated by I posted that video last night of that dude in the show in Philly, and um, I guess that's kind of like a video that's been making the rounds for a while of uh, yes. the second era of Dead Guy performing at the uh, church in Philadelphia, and some guy like approaching the band and being like. You guys let me down, blah blah blah. Like, why are you? Why aren't you? All, you know, just play, just play hardcore. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, <laughs> did you like understand what kind of band you were going to see? You're not, you're not going to see like, uh, you know, Victim of Pain or something like that, or you're not going to see, you know, In My Eyes right. or some band that you, you. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't get it. It's like if I want to go see, you know, Napalm Death, I go see Napalm Death. You know what I mean? I don't go to a car show and then expect expect them to be playing blast beats, you know what I mean?
1: I yeah. want to just go to see any band I want to go see, it, but I want them to sound exactly how I want them to sound. You know? yeah. They should just change and conform right there on the spot for me.
0: Yeah, and I like you know? do you, you know you go you, cuz you want them it's like going to see well how come you guys didn't play this this and this and I'm like dude, I you know like you, you can't you can't have this like syllopsistic viewpoint and expect the world to just like conform to what you want the world to be you know and i guess that's i think that particular part of that live video whenever i get nostalgic about the 90s i, I that type of thing it brings me back to reality where it's like oh yeah right? it wasn't like this cool time it was like maybe like there were some cool personal things going on maybe i was having fun traveling with different bands and I saw a lot of great shows and I, a lot of great people and people that are still friends to this day, you know? But it wasn't like as awesome as I think I remember it sometimes. And that kind of brought me back to reality when I saw that video last night, you know?
1: Yeah, that video has been making the rounds for sure. I've seen it not too long ago myself. And then, uh, was you, you said that guy's the governor of New Jersey now? Oh, I don't you
0: know, say? man. I just like. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't even know who that is. And I, I hope the best for him. I hope things turned out great for that guy. You know what I mean? But like, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, because I mean, people change. I know. You know, I like to think that, you know, I did a lot of stupid shit in the 90s too, man. And uh, I, I think am I'm, I'm a different type of guy these days. And, uh, you know, I, people grow. It's been like 20 something years since that video, you know, surfaced. And uh or it was filmed actually. So yeah, well hopefully that dude turned out okay. I don't know. You know. I, I wish think him he's all, I think he's all right. I wish him luck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh <laughs> Me too. Do you have any favorite tracks on this record?
1: Uh yeah, you
0: know once again
1: I love the whole record. But yeah, man. Like if I had to pick, you know, my my favorite tracks, I love uh apparatus. I love that break yeah. with the bass. It's like it's like a Slayer break, but with bass instead of guitar. Yep. Um, I love the track "Baby Arm," Mm -hmm. uh, and I love the track "Riot Stairs." Those are those are my every track's great, but those are like the standouts
0: to me. How about you? Well, for me, my number one track is also Apparatus, just because uh, I, you know that that's the new Dead guy played a lot of these tracks too. And um, that, when they went into that breakdown part, that's like when shit got real, you know what I mean? <laughs> That was like, that was where, yeah, 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 when yeah. the dudes who were into Strife could understand what to do during that part of the song. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, this is like... Yes, you know. yes. Uh, for me, then it's like uh, Pins and Needles, and then uh, right. the album opener, Doom Patrol. There's like that slow kind of like... that. I mean, that part reminds me of a Rorschach, Part that breakdown part in Doom patrol and um it's like a sabbathy kind of thing that they throw in there with all the crazy chaos and everything and and i think that was like kind of what i really dug about these types of bands where they would be have all this chaos and then they would also reference things like sabbath and it was like oh there's like this slow kind of sabbathy thing going on that that happened frequently i think you know and i thought that was cool right yeah, absolutely,
1: man. Yeah, there's not a bad track on this record. You know, I don't. There's no track on this record I've ever skipped or even considered skipping when I listen to it. I mean, it's rock yeah. solid from beginning to end.
0: And that's, uh, yeah, that's it, man. I think uh, yeah, we probably beat this one to the ground. And um, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't know this record, go out and uh, download it um, via whatever download you have, or be be really cool and find the LP and enjoy it on vinyl and in some sort of tactile format. I think, uh, I know
1: victory has repressed this a few times. And I do think it might still be available right now on vinyl. And, uh, also one more thing, uh, you know, with the announcement of this documentary coming up, uh, that guy has relaunched a, uh, a merch store ah. through uh shirt killer. Nice. Okay. Which a mutual friend of ours, Ryan Patterson, his company, yeah. uh, if you go on shirtkiller.com the the dead guy section there's all kinds of cool designs coffee mugs there's a really sick uh, silkscreen poster I ordered it's on my wall
0: right now oh wow I should Uh, pick that up
1: really cool they have a whole line of dead guy merch for people who have been starved for that for years shirtkiller.com that's that's the joint
0: and you'd also be uh, supporting our friend Ryan so yeah go ahead and do that
1: yeah definitely Um, And yeah man That's You know Great album Well
0: that's it For this week's episode Of Gimme Radio A weekly Gimme Metal podcast Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android, for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. I tried to listen, but too empty hands! I embraced ideals, already dead! I tried to listen, I tried to fit!